Father, we do ask for the teaching ministry of your Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name that you would speak to every heart. Lord, you know where everyone is here in live streaming, and we just ask, would you just speak your word in a way that really is what we need to hear and receive now? In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's amazing how many uh, people get a new beginning and blow it. And we've been doing a series on new beginnings out of the book of Genesis, which is a book of new beginnings. And today we're going to talk really about how to keep from blowing a new beginning. When God gives you a new start, a new beginning in your life, a new beginning in your marriage, your family, whatever, how do you keep from blowing it? I read a study this week that eight in ten Delaware inmates that have been sentenced for more than one year in prison are arrested again for a serious offense within three years of their release. I just thought, eight in ten, how is that possible? That eight in ten would do that. I mean, why would someone do that? Why would you go back to the same behavior that just made you miserable before? And then I was reminded of the verse, 2 Peter 2.22, it reads like this. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow, or a hog, a pig, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. Well, this morning, I want to talk about how not to do that, what, how you can keep from blowing a new beginning. When God gives you a new start, you can keep from falling back into the same negative behavior that made you so miserable and unhappy before. Today we're going to get to our study in the book of Genesis. We're getting to the life of a man by the name of Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew, but let's back up and remember who Abraham was. Remember, God decided that he was going to pick one man and make him a great nation. And through that nation, he was going to reach all the nations of the world with the glory of the Lord. That was the plan. So he picks a man by the name of Abram, changes his name to Abraham, Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob's name is changed by God to Israel. He has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel, the nation of Israel. But Abraham, let's go back all the way to him, had, when God first called him to leave the land that he was living in and go to a new land, a new place, a promised land, Abraham obeyed that call, and with him went his nephew Lot. And so Abraham and Lot and all their family and all of their livestock take off to the promised land. And because Abraham was prospering, everyone with him prospered. And it got to the point that the land could not handle this great livestock inventory that they had between Abraham and Lot, so they agreed they should part ways. What they didn't agree to is this, that when they parted, that Lot, would really run away from the promised land toward this city, this particular city that appeared to be a place of great prosperity, but was also a place of great wickedness. So Lot made his move. Basically, Lot made his move because he didn't trust God to provide for him where he was, protect him where he was. And he was drawn to this city. So first of all, he, he, put, he set up his tents near this city. Then he moved into this city. And the name of the city is Sodom. And Sodom was near another city by the name of Gomorrah. Now, in Genesis chapter 18, the Lord actually comes to Abraham. 
God actually calls Abraham his friend, and so he comes to Abraham to talk to him about what he's got to go do with Sodom and Gomorrah. That the wickedness of these cities has become so great that he's got to come and bring judgment upon them. But he comes to talk to Abraham about this because he knows Abraham has something invested here. See, Abraham also knew that Lot, his nephew and his family, had moved from living outside of Sodom into Sodom. So in the process of their conversation, Abraham asked the Lord to spare the city for the sake of the righteous. Because Abraham knew that Lot, his nephew, was a believer in Yahweh God. And so he said, would you spare the city for the sake of the righteous? Concerned about Lot and his family. Well, God hears Abraham's concerns, and basically, God says, you know, decides he's going to deliver Lot and his family, but he's still going to judge the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, still going to destroy them. So God sends two angels to Sodom to get Lot and his family out of there before destruction comes upon that city. So let's read through that story. And by the way, this sermon is R-rated. I'm not joking. Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. Here's the story. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. So the first thing we learn is that Lot was sitting at the gate in Sodom. Now, what does that mean? Well, the gates of ancient cities was where much of the marketplace took place. People would, would come from out of the city to sell what they had right there at the city gate. And people in the city would also come and do business at the gate of the city. So because it became a place of public markets, it also became a place where there was you know, complications because of it. There was disagreements. There was judgments that needed to be made. And so the leaders of the city began to set their, really set judgment up at the city gates. They would have the elders of the city would be at the city gates. The judges of the city would hold court at the city gates. It became a place where leaders sat and actually arbitrated disagreements and so forth. So keep this in mind because Lot is one of those leaders now. Very likely, Lot is a judge in Sodom, and we're going to see why uh, I'm saying that uh, as we read the passage. So Lot is not only moved from outside of Sodom into Sodom and is a resident of Sodom with his family, but now he's apparently a leader in the city, a judge. So let's read as the story goes on, because apparently his leadership hasn't made a very great impact on this city. Read the rest of verse 1 in Genesis 19. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. Now understand at this point that Lot does not know yet that these are angels because these angels have disguised themselves as men. Oftentimes in the Bible when angels appear, they appear as humans in disguise. So these two angels were on assignment from God, but they appeared as men. Lot does not yet know they're angels. Let's read on. Verse 2, And he said to them, He said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, however, No, but we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he, Lot, urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he prepared a feast for them, and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. See, Lot knows it would not go well for these 
two men. He thought they were men, remember? It would not go well for them if they stayed in the town square this all night long. That would not be a good idea, not in Sodom. So he urges them, come to my house, stay in my house, and then early in the morning you can take off before anyone else wakes up. Verse 4, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of the city of Sodom, the men of Sodom surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. Let me get a load of this. From every quarter of the city, all the people, all of the men, young and old, they come and surround Lot's house. Get this image in your mind. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. Now, your translation may not have the euphemism there and say, bring them out when we may have sex with them. That's what they're asking. That's what they're demanding. Now, Lot's house is surrounded basically by a large group of homosexual men that want to basically gang rape the two men that are in his house. Verse 6. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. So Lot does kind of like, remember all the old westerns where the marshal would come out and close the door behind him and try to get the mob not to do the lynching? Well, that's kind of the scene here. Lot comes out, closes the door behind him, and he starts to reason with this mob. But his reasoning then turns into bargaining and listen to the bargain he's about to offer them. Verse 8. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. What? What are you saying, Lot? You're saying you're willing to throw your two virgin daughters to this pack of wolves? Really? Well, it turns out that these homosex this homosexual mob has no interest in his daughters. Verse 9. But they said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, now they're talking about Lot. This one came in as an alien. And already he's acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. So now they move all the way close to Lot like a pack of zombies coming at him. And the closer they move to him and reaching out to him, Lot's now got, he's got the door closed. He's back against the house and the mob is pressing up against him. In the midst of that, we're nowhere to go. These two angels reach out and they grab Lot and they pull him inside and close the door real quickly. But as they do that, they also strike this whole group of men with blindness by the door. So they're no longer a threat to Lot. They're stumbling over each other out there in blindness. Verse 10. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door, these angels. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness both small and great, so that they weary themselves trying to find the doorway. Okay, now try to imagine what Lot's thinking at this point. I mean, he's finally pulled out of danger. They shut the door, so he probably, first of all, there's a sigh of relief. Whew. Wow, thanks a lot, guys. But then I think he might have started thinking, 
whoa, did those, those two dudes just strike everybody with blindness? At this point, Lot's beginning to realize these aren't just two men here. These are two angels. But he doesn't yet know why they're there. He still doesn't know the answer to that. Verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of the place for we're about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord, the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So now their identity is clearly revealed that they're angels sent from God and also Lot now knows why they're here, why they're there. They've come to destroy the city. In other words, Lot realizes these, these aren't just a couple guys traveling through town and decide to come to Sodom. These are two angels on assignment from God to destroy the city, destroy everyone's life in the city, but set him and his family, destroy the lives of all the people he's in the city gate with, all his neighbors, all his friends, destroy them all. So the angels made it clear they were not just in Sodom to destroy Sodom, but also they were there to rescue Lot and his family. So they told him, Get all your family together and get out of this city before it's too late. So Lot does that. He starts gathering together his family. The first thing he does is goes to his sons-in-law and tries to get them to come, and they think it's a big joke. Verse 14. And Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters and said, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. They're like, Are you kidding, really? Really? Come on. But unfortunately for them, Lot doesn't have a whole lot of time here. He doesn't have time to convince them that judgment's coming. So the angels, they grab Lot, and they grab his wife and two daughters by the hand, and they just say, they start dragging them out saying, flee for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop in a plane. Go to the mountains or you're going to be swept away in the judgment. So they grab Lot and his family by the hand. They tell them to flee for their lives. Don't look back. Verse 15. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife, your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in punishment, in the punishment of the city. Verse 16. But he hesitated. Lot hesitates. Now, how could Lot hesitate at this point? Remember last week we saw in the life of Abraham that he held the Lord tightly, because Abraham held the Lord tightly, he held everything else loosely. And here we see that Lot's not like Abraham. Lot's not, he's not holding his attachment to Sodom very loosely. Verse 16, he hesitates. So the men, these angels disguised as men, seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his daughters, but the compassion of the Lord was upon him, and they brought him out and put him outside the city. Verse 17, and it came about when they brought them outside that one said, now escape for your life. Don't look behind you. Do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, very specific, lest you be swept away. So the angels tell them exactly where to go. Now you would think at this point that Lot and his family would be just simply grateful. You know, at this point, you know, we, you're going to destroy Sodom and for reasons beyond our understanding, you're, you're delivering us. You told us to get out. You told us when to get out. You told us where to go. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You think that would be his response, but it's not. Verse 18. 
But Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords. Now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have magnified your kindness, which you've shown to me, saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest disaster overtake me and I die. Now behold, this town over here is near enough to flee, and it's small. Please let me escape to that. It, it is, you know, that there, it is, not, is it not small? That my life might be saved. So instead of being overwhelmed with gratitude that he and his family are not going to be destroyed, Lot argues with the angels. He doesn't want to go where they're telling him to go. Lot thinks, you know, I'm not going to be safe there. You know, forgetting the fact that God is the one who said to go there. So he begs them to let him go someplace else to this other town. Others, what he's saying is basically this. Even though God wants me to go there, he's saying to these angels, uh, let me go over there in this town because that would be better for me. I, I know. Trust me, I know. But God is merciful and God chooses to show Lot some mercy, more, even more mercy, even though Lot certainly doesn't deserve it. God, in his mercy, allows Lot to go to this town by the name of Zoar. Let's pick it up, verse 21. And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this request also, not to overthrow the town in which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the town is called Zoar. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar, when he finally got there. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and, all what, and what grew in the ground. I mean, it was scorched earth. But his wife from behind him, she, she became a pillar of salt. His wife from behind him looked back and became a pillar of salt. So Lot's wife hesitates. She looks back. I mean, she's out of Sodom, but Sodom's not out of her. She looked back because there's something about Sodom that was still in her heart. The idea is she looked back with a longing for Sodom. She's hesitating, looking back. And in her hesitation, looking back and longing, she's caught up in the very destruction of Sodom herself. So wanting Sodom and deliverance from Sodom both, she got neither. Many years ago, I lived in the Palau Islands, and one of the islands, and I, was, I, was, I was there as a missionary, one of the islands that, I, that, that we was, was a part of the chain of islands had some monkeys on it. And they would trap the monkeys. The way they trapped the monkeys was very simple. They'd get a coconut, they would make a little hole in the coconut, and they'd clean the entire coconut out uh, so it was hollow. And then they would uh, put some peanuts in the coconut, in that hole, and they attached the coconut to a tree. And a monkey would come along, smell the peanuts, and he'd reach inside that little hole, and he'd grab a hold of the, of the peanuts, and when he did, he made a fist, and he couldn't get his fist out. And so the, they'd run and grab the monkey, and the monkey and the monkey would see him coming, and he wouldn't let go of the peanuts. So he'd hold his fist, and his fist got caught in the hole, in the hole and eventually they grabbed the monkey, and they captured the monkey. So the monkey, wanting both the peanuts and the freedom, got neither one. That was the case with... Lot's wife. Wanting Sodom and freedom from Sodom, she got neither. What happens next? Verse 27. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. So now 
Abraham looks down in the valley and it's like smoke is rising after God has destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And he sees it. Verse 29, thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham. It's interesting, it doesn't say that, that God remembered Lot. It came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley, he remembered Abraham, his friend, and his friend's request. And he sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities of which Lot lived. Verse 30, Lot went up from Zoar and stayed in the mountains and his two daughters with him, for he's afraid to stay in Zoar. And he stayed in the cave, in a cave, he and his two daughters. So Zoar didn't turn out to be too good a choice for Lot. It says he was afraid when he was there possibly because the people Zor thought maybe Lot was responsible for what happened in Sodom. So get out of our town. Whatever the case, we don't know, but for some reason, Lot was afraid, and he and his two daughters do go to the mountains, and now they're in a cave, living in a cave. So what happens next? Verse 31. Then the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there's not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine and let us lie with him that we may preserve our family through our father. So the daughters have a plan. Listen to the logic of this plan. Here's the plan. Let's get our father drunk. They don't think they're going to have any problem doing that, apparently. Then let's have sex with our father. I mean, they don't have any moral problem doing that, apparently. No moral concerns. And then they believe they could, this plan is actually going to work. Verse 33, so they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. And it came about on the morrow that the firstborn said of the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, that you may go in and lie with him, that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down when she arose. Thus both of the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. I mean, think about this. It's one thing to commit incest with your daughter. I mean, it's even worse to do it and not even know you did it. And even worse to do it twice and not even know you did it. So Lot, after being freed from judgment, does not respond the way that we hope he'd respond, I mean, with this honor and gratitude to God and with this new beginning, God, I'm a new beginning with you, thank you, and we really can do this thing well and right. Instead, he becomes so drunk, he doesn't even know what's going on with his body. And his daughters, who are equally as wicked, they sin by taking advantage of his drunkenness and committing incest as a means to perpetuate their family line. I mean, this sure doesn't sound like the biography of a family that's so righteous God should deliver them from Sodom. Doesn't sound like, you know, this, this is just such a super righteous people, they should be rescued. It sounds like even though they didn't live in Sodom anymore, Sodom still lived in them. I mean, there was a wickedness in their hearts, and no matter how many times you can change where someone may live, you cannot change necessarily what lives in them. So Sodom was in the hearts of Lot and his daughters. Wickedness and unrighteousness and evil lived in this man and and their daughters, and his wife, obviously, as well. And, con and here's the consequences of it, of it all. Here's the consequences of their actions. Verse 37. And the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. 
He's the father of the Moabites to this day. As for the younger, verse 38, as for the younger, she also bore a son, called his name Ben-Ami. He's the father of the sons of Ammon to this day. So the Moabites and the Ammonites, who would be the enemies of Israel throughout history, have now made their entrance into the world through the decisions, the choices of Lot. Now, what a contrast between Abraham and Lot. I mean, Abraham holds tightly to God and holds everything else loosely. Lot seems to hold to everything tightly except God. And so Lot got a new beginning with God, and yet he blew it. He wasted it. In fact, he made decisions that would actually work against the purposes of God well after he's dead and gone. And that's another contrast between Abraham and Lot. Abraham's, there's going to be, because of Abraham's choices, there's going to be blessings that are going to go well after he's gone to many, many people. And because of the decisions Lot made, there's going to be difficulty and affliction and war and suffering well after he's gone because of the choices he made. In the midst of all this, here's what the Apostle Peter writes about Lot. 2 Peter 2, 6 through 8. And if he condemned, if God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly thereafter, and if he rescued, listen to this, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, by which... For by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day with their lawless deeds. So he calls Lot righteous Lot. He sure doesn't act like a righteous man, does he? See, it's important that we understand at this point, the Bible talks about three different kinds of people. And everyone in this room and live streaming is in one of these three categories. The first kind of person is what the Bible calls as a natural man. This is an unbeliever. The natural man, 1 Corinthians 2.14. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. You ever talk to somebody that's clearly an unbeliever and as you're talking to them about the Lord, they just think that's all foolishness? It's foolishness to them, the natural man. That's one category a lot of people are in around the world. Second category is we'll call a spiritual believer. In other words, a believer who acts like a believer. 1 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16. He who is spiritual praises all things. We have the mind of Christ. So now we've got a believer acting like a believer, a spiritual man. But there's a third category of, pe of people, and that is the worldly or the carnal believer. In other words, a believer that doesn't act like a believer. I mean, they, they, they believed at one point, genuinely believed, but they are not acting like a believer. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? So Abraham is a spiritual believer and Lot is a carnal believer. Abraham loves God, not the world. 
Lot loves the world. But he's also trying to love God at the same time. You can't have it both ways. So Lot tries to hold on to both God and the world, and you can't do that. The Apostle John talks about that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Let's look at this passage here. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. That's the one command in the whole passage. That's the command. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, materialism, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away. Also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. So there's one command in this whole passage, and that is do not love the world or the things of the world. And he tells us what the things of the world are. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, both for pride of life. Don't love that. Don't love materialism. Don't love sensuality, you know, illicit sensuality. Don't be in love with that. Don't be in love with the pride of life and how people see you and worry about that. Don't love that. And then he gives an argument or the incentives for not loving the world. Here's the incentives. First incentive. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, you can't have love for the world and love for God at the same time. Love for the world will push out love for God. Think about that. At times you're involved in those things like lust of the flesh and boast for pride of life and lust of the eyes. At times you're grabbed by that. Are you loving God at that time? Or is God feel, you know, you're feeling distant from God because you, love for the world is pushing out love for God. And love for God pushes out love for the world. And he goes on to support that with an explanation. He says, the reason for the world, that the world pushes out love for God is this. He says, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, most of the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. In other words, don't love the world because love for the world cannot coexist for love for God. It can't. You can't have them both. One will push out the other. You've got to choose. But he gives two more incentives for not loving the world or the things of the world. Next one is this, verse 17. He says, the world and the world passes away and the lust of it. Think about this. Who would buy stock in a company that you know is about to go bankrupt? Nobody. Who sets up house on a sinking ship. Let's say you got a ship that's slowly sinking, but you have a room in that boat. And you're making trips back and forth, fixing it up real nice. And you're putting all kinds of money into making it nice, and it's going down. Does that make any sense? Of course not. No reasonable person would lay up treasure where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and still. The world is passing away. He says, to set your heart on this world that's passing away, you're just asking for heartache and misery. So that's what happens to Lot and Lot's wife. He says, but he who does the will of God abides forever. By the way, the opposite of loving the world is not only loving the Father, but it's doing the will of the Father. And that connection isn't hard to understand. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll, you'll obey my commandments. There's a connection. If we love him, we do his will. There's a connection. So loving the Father in verse 15 and doing the will of God in verse 17 are not really separate things. If you love God, you love what he wills. It's empty talk to say, I love God, but I don't, want to, I don't love what God loves. So here's the difference back to Abraham and Lot. Here's the difference between Abraham and Lot. 
key difference is Abraham is a spiritual believer. Lot is a carnal believer. And the bottom line difference is this. Abraham was God's friend. And Lot is a friend of the world. That's the difference. That is the bottom line difference. So here's the question for us is which one of those are you more like today? Which one is a a better description of you? Are you more like Abraham, friend of God? Or are you more like Lot, friend of the world? You know, it's it's interesting that if you, you know, you might be thinking, yeah, I think I'm more like Lot, and I'm I'm not asking for a show of hands. I think I might be more like Lot, but I don't want to be that. Well, I want to be like Abraham. How do I get there? How do I change? The answer is, by becoming God's friend. That's the answer. See, if God's your friend and you're in love with God and you're captured by God, here's how you handle temptation. You know, a a couple weeks ago, I gave you guys an assignment of taking those four throne room passages and meditating on those four passages. One is in uh, Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah sees into heaven and, and, and he sees the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, with a train of his robe filling the temple. And the seraphim, the six winged angels, are saying, Holy, holy, holy. That's one throne room scene. Then Daniel chapter 7, we see the Ancient of Days sitting on a throne, surrounded by millions of angels and, and, and a river of fire coming out from the throne. That's another throne room scene. And then we also go from there to. Ezekiel chapter 1, and Ezekiel sees the, these four living, these, these cherubim that, that have this kind of throne ch- chariot that, 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 that God is riding on in all his glory, and he's on the throne, and, and he's just glorious. And then we go from there to John chapter 4 and 5. We see God sitting on a throne, and, and we got the four living creatures talking about his holiness, and then you got 24 elders and all the angels, all these throne room scenes. And we start to press into worship and we fall in love with this glorious God. And the more we fall in love with him and we're captured by his beauty, his splendor, his majesty, the easier it is for us to look over our shoulder and say no to temptation. The more I'm captured by the glory of God, the majesty of God, and and I've tasted his goodness, the more I I think about why would I give myself to, to pornography? Why would I give myself to how much how many materialism I can have. It's a lot easier to say no to temptation when you have this. And that's what Abraham had. Abraham, every time we see Abraham, we see him setting up an altar and worshiping God. He's captured by God. And, and God says, draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. And so Abraham becomes God's friend. God called him his friend. Because he loves God, it's easy for him to say no to the world. But here's the problem. If you do not do that, if you do not make friendship with God a priority in your life, then you will become a friend of the world. You have to. You're being bombarded 10,000 times a day with why you should be a friend of the world. You're being bombarded when you drive out of here on on I-20 and you're seeing billboards that are saying, be my friend, be my friend. You need this, you need this to be happy. Every time you open a magazine, there's four colored ads saying, be my friend, you need this to be happy. You turn on TV and there's sensuality saying, oh gosh, if you could just have him or her, you'd be so happy. And so if you do not become a friend of God, you will become a friend of the world. And so so the choice really is up to each one of us. You will not be as close to God as you wish to be or as you want to be. You'll only be as close to God as you choose to be. 
The choice is for each one of us. What will you choose? What will you choose? So if God gives you a new beginning, and by the way, Lamentations 3.22 and 3.23, let's read that. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faith. Every one of us can have a new beginning today. Today, his, new, his mercies, his compassions are new today. You can have a new beginning right now. But how do you keep from blowing it? How do you keep from falling back into the same type of, of, of a pattern that made you miserable before, made your marriage miserable, made your family miserable, whatever? How do you keep from falling into that? The, the only way to do it is to become a friend of God. Otherwise, you become a friend of the world. You'll love the world and the things of the world. And you'll fall back into the same miserable, unhappy pattern. Friendship with God is the way to not blow a new beginning. So what will you choose? If you're going to choose to be his friend, let me just give you some practical advice here. Start every morning spending time with him as your friend. Start every morning in worship and prayer and listening to him and talking to him as your friend. He's not an imaginary friend. He is an invisible friend, but he's not imaginary. He's real. So don't talk to him like he's not in the room. He's in the room right now. He's in this room right now. And he wants to be your friend more than any of us want him to be our friend. And all he's wanting us to do is just come to him and just, you know, take time knowing him, loving him. And then when you, talk, you finish your devotional time in the morning and you head off to school or to work or wherever you're going, then what you do then is say, take that conversation with you. Get in your car, you say, I got a 20-minute drive. Well, how about, why don't you put in a CD with some verses and keep your conversation going? And keep that conversation going throughout the day. And then the last person you talk to every night, make sure it's your, him, your friend, your best friend. If you do that, you won't blow a new beginning. But if you, just, if you decide not to, to develop that friendship, then the friendship with the world is going to be too much for you to overcome. And you'll live out your life as a carnal Christian. You'll live out your life in worldliness. So get time with God. Get in the G-hop time with God. Get in his presence and become his friend and live out that friendship. And, and be more like Abraham and not like Lot. Amen? Yeah. Let's stand together. Ask the worship team back up. They're going to lead us in a song here in a minute. But some of you are, are thinking, you know, I just I want a new beginning, Lord, today. And uh, you might be thinking, I, I, just, I need to confess that I've slipped into some worldliness, Lord, and I just confess it. So this front of this, front of this uh, stage area, just look at like a giant altar. So during the song, you might want to come up and just say, Lord, I'm laying it down. I'm laying down worldliness. I'm laying it down. And some of you might just be thinking, you know what? Lord, I just want to become a closer friend. Today, I want to start new, really becoming your friend, not just walking, going through the motions of, of a Christian life. I want to be your friend. I want to know you. I want to know you. Whatever it is, you feel like you need to do business with God before you leave. It's, this is a safe place. We're all just family. Just during the song, come down, kneel before the Lord, or bow before the Lord, and just say, okay, Lord, here I am. I need a new beginning. I'm not going to blow this one. I'm going to be your friend. Help me do that. So, Father, we ask you, would you just really control this time in all of our lives? That we just get, all of us can get a fresh start with you. And some, Lord, in a big way, just want to, are going to want to just really do business with you, Lord. So we just ask you, Lord, would you move by your spirit now uh, during this time? 
In each of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Father, we just, we just confess that we hate all the times where we've run after the world. We hate it. We try to find our satisfaction, Lord, in lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh and boastful pride of life. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us, even all of us fresh today, Lord. Cleanse us. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you that you love to just cleanse us with the blood of Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would make us more like Abraham than Lot. Lord, we want to be your friend. So I just pray, Lord, all of us this week could find ourselves just, just continuing a conversation with you, leaning on you, trusting you, listening to you, speaking to you, loving you. So, Lord, take us there. Grow us up. 
Lord, that we really would be spiritual men and women and not carnal. So, Lord, fill us with your spirit today as we, and as we leave this place and use us to impact other people's lives as we shine the light of Christ and shatter the darkness all around us. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says, amen. amen, amen. God bless you guys. We have Connection Coffee in the back. If, you have, if you're new and have any questions, please come back there. If you, this is your first time here, come up to the front. Let's welcome here. I'd love to meet you myself. And there'll be leaders up front to pray for you as well. God bless you guys. Have a great week.